0: Religion, usually and generally, actually speaks of the need for humility, right? And you you see it within the lives of these religious founders, you know, you name it. You, You look at Jesus, you look at Moses, you look at Abraham... Muhammad. There's some strong evidence that suggests that
1: uh, in, in certain parts of the world, definitely uh, in the West and in more individualistic uh,
0: cultures, what we're seeing is this increase in narcissism. You know, on the, on the one hand, we're talking about this narcissism epi- epidemic, right? Um, but at the same time, what I've perceived on social media is that there is also this large scale exodus of people who are genuinely trying to move away uh, from these things and adopting more um, traditional uh, values of virtues um, that have been espoused by, you know, fundamentally the various religious founders across the world.
1: You know, some philosophers consider humility to be a liberatory virtue. Right? It helps liberate because it helps align us with the truth of the world around us. We see ourselves accurately and the world around us accurately.
0: Hello everyone and Assalamu Alaikum Wa Rahmatullahi Wa Barakatuh. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. I'm pleased today to be speaking with Dr. Daryl Van Tongeren. Dr. Tongaran is an Associate Professor of Psychology at Hope College. He completed his PhD in Experimental Social Psychology at Virginia Commonwealth University in 2011. He was named a 2016 Association for Psychological Science Rising Star. More recently, he was named a Fellow of the Midwestern Psychological Association and a Fellow of the International Society for Science and Religion. He is interested in deep and enduring questions about the human condition. As a social psychologist, he employs experimental research to investigate meaning in life, religion and identity and virtues, and has 150 scientific publications in this regard. He's also the author of two books, The Courage to Suffer, as well as Humble, The Quiet Power of an Ancient Virtue. Now, in this episode, we will be speaking to Dr. Tongren about his research on the importance and value of the age-old virtue of humility, which he has shared in his book Humble. We will also be particularly analysing the current societal trends towards narcissistic behaviour and how that is affecting our lives. And of course, as usual, throughout our conversation, we will be exploring Islam's take on these issues as well. So, Dr. Tongren, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. All right, So I was saying before we started this podcast that I wanted to share with you how I, ca- how I came across your book. Um, so it's interesting, really. Recently, um, I was doing a bit of research and um, thinking a lot about this particular topic. And... Um, yeah I I was just thinking I wish there was a book about this somewhere where I could just you know someone had done all the research and I could just read their findings and interestingly I was actually traveling from Sydney to uh well back to Brisbane um from a conference and Randomly, I walked past uh, this book, which in bold of uh, said humble, of course, the book that's published now. And I was just so pleasantly surprised as, you know, straight away ran up to it, picked it up. And I was like, what is this? This is gold. (laughs) I need to read it. Um, So ever since then, um, yeah, because it's interesting because recently um, here in Queensland, um, uh, we, we have a council called Queensland faith communities council and we had a panel conversation on there uh, as in, we uh, organized various programs throughout the year and one particular program that the uh, executive wanted to organize this year was an educational panel conversation and the topic that the executive decided to choose was also humility Um, so um, yeah it, it was just great to be able to find your book and read through it in preparation for that panel conversation um so yeah it's just you know it it is absolutely great and um honestly i've really enjoyed reading the book i think it's um absolutely necessary for uh for today um so yeah no thank you so much um so we'll 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 go straight into the conversation um so You mention in your book that currently we're going through something you call um, a narcissism epidemic. And um, you particularly mentioned the research done by Gene Twenge and Keith Campbell. And interestingly, Gene Twenge was actually on a podcast recently with Jordan B. Peterson on this exact same topic. Um, so I was hoping you could share with us a little bit more about you know, this, um, narcissism epidemic as you describe it. Um, and how, how do you think that that's actually taking shape? Cause I know you give quite a in-depth analysis on this in your book. So I was hoping you could share it, uh, with our listeners.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. So based on the research by Jean Twangny and Keith Campbell and others, um, you know, there's, there's some strong evidence that suggests that Uh, In in certain parts of the world, definitely uh, in the West and in more individualistic uh, cultures, what we're seeing is this increase in narcissism. And by that, we mean a a couple of parallel trends. So one is this increase in in entitlement. So people feeling as if they're entitled to things uh, coupled with a feeling of uh, perceived superiority. So the perception that we're better than other people. And so, when we feel entitled and when we feel uh, the, as though we're superior to others, one of the things ha- that happens is we start creating a sense of self worth that's based on external contingencies. So, things outside of ourselves. And so, we go looking for our worth and our value in the amount of money we make or our perceived attractiveness or the number of followers we have on any social media platform. And the problem with that is if we perceive that we're better than others, and we feel entitled to, to things, and we put our self-worth in the hands of others, it, it creates a very fragile self-esteem. And so we look to others for validation and we give up our autonomy because we're looking for other people to tell us that we're, that we're enough, that we're loved, that we are people of worth and value. And so you know in the in the 80s and 90s a lot of uh, researchers thought that if we if we could just increase self-esteem a lot of societal problems uh, would be corrected but instead what we're seeing is that this overly high focus on self-esteem has left us more miserable, lonely, anxious and depressed uh, kind of in a worse shape than we've ever been and so humility i think stands as a stark anecdote uh, or as our antidote rather it's a stark antidote to this narcissism epidemic to where, instead of giving away our sense of self worth and putting it in the hands of others, we start from a place of security where we know that we're already enough, we're already worthy, and we're already loved.
0: Absolutely, um, now it's interesting because um, it's well back in uni. I remember reading a book by um, Dale Carnegie. Um, I hope I've pronounced his name correctly and um yeah yeah. um yeah so uh, i'm sure you know what i'm talking about it's um how do win friends and influence people right and i I found that really interesting because um i was drawing parallels with what some of the stuff that you mentioned in your book and um you know he mentions how um for example if you take a group photo in which you are also in um it's interesting, usually you wouldn't be looking at anyone else's faces other than yours um, right. and similarly he was, you know you was mentioning how um, the best way to influence an, another individual or if not influence, try to actually win over their favor or become friends with them is just to listen and um, genuinely just um, you know contribute to the con- conversation about them rather than yourself um and I think you mentioned in your book something about people taking eight selfies per day now and that's just that's just remarkable yeah,
1: yeah and and I think that number might even be higher it's possible that you know I think the that uh, research a little, is a little bit dated but the first time I, I saw that I thought well that that's remarkable and, and maybe it's just me i don't I don't take that many I don't really uh you know think that I'm that uh <laughs> You know, worthy of, of needing to have that many pictures of myself—at least not for me to look at later. Um, yeah. But you know, when we're when we're really kind of putting ourselves out there, part of what we're doing, like you mentioned, is we're focusing on ourselves, but we're also putting ourselves out there for evaluation uh, by others. And so we're evaluating ourselves; others are evaluating ourselves, and we just create this tenuous system of of self worth and approval um, that can end up leading us to forfeit our autonomy and we end up pursuing things and approval and worth that other people suggest are important so it really opens us up to being persuaded or manipulated by uh, stronger
0: cultural trends rather than living in accordance with our values right now of course and uh, it's interesting because um uh, back in the 80s um so uh, I'm, i'm from the Ahmadiyya muslim community and um you know, we're, we're led by a spiritual system or a spiritual caliphate. And uh, back then, um, the community was led by the fourth um, successor to the founder of the community, the fourth caliph, His Holiness Mirza Tahir Ahmed. And he he did a series of sermons pretty much on this topic. And it was interesting because he tied it in with the concept of worship because in in Islam, um, worship or the word worship uh, or the word used for worship in Islam uh, in the Arabic language is ibada, and uh, ibada quite literally means that you admire someone so much that you decide to take on their impression upon yourself right And, you know, Islam being an Abrahamic faith and following in the line of, you know, Judaism and Christianity, um, it teaches that you should be living in the image of God, etc. But it also teaches that it's possible for you to, instead of worship one God, it's possible for you to worship a myriad of gods and in that way, give away your own freedom uh, in allowing the society to map your life for you. Um and I found it quite interesting because I think I think it ties quite ties in quite well with exactly the concept that you're explaining that you know today um I think it's the situation's been exasperated because of, you know, the the rise in social media and the use of uh, social media and the way we try to post our images online to Seek validation from others, but I think it, the concept is quite similar, really, isn't it? I mean, uh, Islam teaches that well um, you know if if you will not worship one God and and you know it can be argued if if this God is conscious or unconscious, I mean, and maybe something that in more modern times people understand more easily is well if you, it's either you worship the ultimate good, the aspiration to try and be the best um, version of yourself or, uh, you seek validation from society, which is quite limiting and, um, yeah, quite, um, mentally challenging really. Um, so, yeah, know, I, 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 I found, um, you know, a lot of similarities between the, the research that you've done. And what I think what's really wonderful is that it really brings it to a, A contemporary audience because I think sometimes when we come from the perspective of religion um, it's difficult to process these ideas because you know sometimes even the language is quite archaic um, and you don't really fully comprehend what's being said Um, but you know what you're doing is absolutely terrific Um, so um, I think there's a few other things that you also mentioned in this analysis to do with um, the narcissism epidemic that we're going through, you mentioned something about, you know, we, we selectively choose our friends and we end up in echo chambers as well. Um, you know, how, how is that? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, you know, all, all of us humans have these uh, different cognitive limitations and cognitive biases. And one of the biases that we have is a confirmation bias. And this is, the process by really we, we seek out information that confirms beliefs that we already have. And so, you know, if, if you are of a particular political persuasion, you'll seek out new sources and check new sources that align with your political persuasion, regardless of the, the side of the spectrum you might be on. And then we tend to choose friends that are similar to us, um, both, uh, ideologically, uh, And in any number of ways. And so if we're selecting new sources and we're selecting information that already confirms what we already believe, and we surround ourselves with like-minded friends who are similar to us ideologically, we just start living in a world in which we get overly convinced that we're right. And it's hard for us to imagine not only that we could be wrong, but that any decent, thoughtful, or intelligent person could believe otherwise. And even when we encounter information that disconfirms or runs counter to what we believe, we just discount that information or discount that that individual as being uninformed or unintelligent or otherwise um, subhuman. And so really, we have become so accustomed to being right, and we've been so accustomed to being only seeking out and being fed information that confirms our worldview— it becomes challenging for us to approach and discuss areas where there are deep divisions or disagreements. And we've fallen out of practice in having hard conversations. Uh, I, I, I have personal examples. I know people who, uh, because of political differences, their families have stopped communicating with them. They've not been invited to get togethers. Uh, they've really kind of been cut out of their families because of, of either political or religious um just disagreements. And, and the problem with that is given some of the deep divides that we were experiencing in our world and in various cultures, we need practice in having real and challenging conversations and collaborating and cooperating with people with whom we may not always see the world similarly. And so I think humility is one of the ways that can help bridge some of those divides and kind of help bring us together with a spirit of cooperation rather than division.
0: Yeah, and that's interesting. What you mentioned about how we choose to, um, well, one, um, it's difficult for us to now listen to um, opinions uh, that are either opposed to our own or different to our own, and um, we selectively choose a crowd um, that you know doesn't decide to disagree with us. And um, it's interesting because um different analyses that have been made over time over totalitarian regimes actually point to this particular fact that you know those um at the top of such regimes they tend to isolate themselves in, in a pretty pretty similar fashion really so it's it's a stark it's a stark example but i think it's something definitely something that we should be very worried about and i think you're absolutely right i think um nowadays um, there is unfortunately I would say this uh, strong shift towards not being able to have uh, conversations and people more and more becoming I think uh, agreeable than disagreeable in a, in a in a constructive way um, and I think that's causing a lot of issues um, in society in general and you know in, in your book, there's one, there was one incident that you mentioned that I really resonated with, and I think it's a perfect example of what can be achieved if you're willing to just listen and if you're willing to just hear the viewpoint of the other individual. Um, you know, you, you mentioned how I think one of your students who's from an African American background. Um, she came to you because I believe at your uni, um, they were thinking, well, I'll, I'll let you, um, narrate the incident. Um, um, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah, th- yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Yeah. So, um, you know, one of, uh, one of my students who, uh, was an African-American student and came to me and I, and I'm a, and I'm a white male and she came to me and said, um, you know, i I've I've really hesitated coming to talk to you because you're a person of authority and and truthfully you know there's there's kind of a, a history of um of kind of fear associated with with white men in positions of p- power and authority but I really wanted to talk to you because some of the things that we've been talking about in our social psychology class have really resonated with me and I'm a bit concerned because the, the college was debating whether or not to. Armed uh, arm its campus safety officers. and and given some of the the research we know about um, you know, our armed campus safety officers, or armed law enforcement agency or agents, she was a little bit concerned that she and some of her uh, classmates and friends uh, would feel and be unsafe. And so she shared her concerns with me,, uh, but also kind of shared that it it took courage on her behalf in order to to have this conversation. and and in the moment, you know, I, I, I had previously thought of myself as someone who was, you know, quite approachable and personable, and I hadn't envisioned myself as someone who was intimidating. And so it was really a touching moment as, you know, as as she became emotional, I, I, I became emotional and I, uh, you know, it shared that her vulnerability meant so much to me and I was vulnerable with her about how, uh, how much it was, uh, how meaningful it was to me that she would have the courage and vulnerability to come talk to me about that. And, and then I went and I followed up and shared the concerns with the administration and, and they had received other concerns. It was not just hers, but it resonated with other concerns. And uh, I told her I would follow up and, and in the end, uh, they decided against the policy m- much to the relief and delight of my student and other students. And when I followed up with her, she was surprised and, and delighted that I did. And, And really that was, that was a moment where another student, another person's courage beckoned forth from me a deeper sense of empathy to try to understand her perspective and really what she was feeling in that moment. And it was was a moment where I think we both grew in empathy and probably both, uh, could, could gain a little bit of, uh, humility, if I may, in the moment because we were able to see each other's perspective and, and value each other's, um, needs at that time
0: yeah well and and it's i i would say it's not easy i mean um it's um i think oh, no, in saying, hindsight, yeah, no, no. <laughs> yeah yeah no because i i mean the way you've obviously really eloquently put it um i think sometimes when we listen to really wonderful narrations of you know um inspirational um stories uh, taking place in society sometimes we really undermine how difficult <laughs> that yeah. actual experience would have been yeah. because I think of it this way. I mean, um, usually uh, for someone of color to come and up to um, a white male and particularly address this issue um, of, you know, that, well, I'm afraid for my life. Um, and obviously there is an ongoing issue in the States uh, with you know, gun control, right. etc. Um, so I, I would have right. I would have expected that situation to be quite confronting, and um, you know, it's possible that you know a lot of people would have actually, instead of trying to understand the individual, taken offence to this uh, whole situation altogether. As in, you know, what do you mean, um, you know, that I'm white male, or you know, that you know the uh, the the security guard should should have a gun, and um, and that 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 could even be a, a situation in itself. Um, you know, Ultimately, it's a question of the security of students, right? Um, and I mean, what right. I'm saying is that uh, you could have technically posed a number of reasons why she doesn't need to be worried, right? And how right. it's all right. just a figment of your imagination. Uh, you're unnecessarily worried. But, you know, I think it takes a great deal of courage to be able to just listen and just accept that, well, yeah, uh, there is this over overarching issue there, though it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with uh, color um, or particularly being a white male. But I, I, th- I think that that, that um, example is, is quite powerful in itself. And the reason I, I particularly mention it is because you, you also mentioned in your book about the fact that you know, our default position is to be defensive, right? I mean, I don't think yeah. um, it's uh, easy for human beings to be able to listen to criticism or to listen to something that is against their worldview or even against their whole being in itself, right? Um, so I was hoping you could explain a little bit about that. I mean, why is that? Why, why is it that we're, you know, by default... Uh, defensive and which you know makes it quite difficult for us to even um, maybe even consider the question of humility
1: yeah yeah think thanks for asking and yeah and in, in that moment that was challenging and, and that was difficult and I'm glad that i I stuck in there and um and, and really did try to listen and and you're right our our default is defensiveness and one of the reasons why our default is defensiveness is When it comes to our deepest held beliefs, to our worldviews, those worldviews and those deepest beliefs oftentimes answer what researchers call existential questions, right? And these are questions like, who am I? And what's the meaning of life? And what happens to me after I die? And so, for example, religion or political ideology or national uh, narratives oftentimes kind of help provide us with a sense of meaning and structure that that allow us to interpret what's going on in the world, navigate our way around the world. And they tell us the kind of person that we should be. And they make claims, Some at least religious worldviews, make claims about what happens to us after we die. And all of those are really important because they address these existential concerns that uh, otherwise if they weren't addressed would cause us a great deal of anxiety and in fact uh, perhaps so much anxiety that we wouldn't really be able to function all that well and so the reason why we're defensive is because we tend to treat our beliefs as a unified whole right we kind of hold all of our beliefs together and so what we do is we imagine if i'm if i'm wrong about this one thing right I wonder if I'm wrong about some of the other things and those other things are the things I really have to be right about. You know, there's just so much at stake. I can't be wrong about what happens to me after I die. You know, it's okay if I'm wrong about this little thing, but I really can't be wrong about what happens to me after I die because there's just simply too much at stake. And so sometimes we lump all those things together and we just, we feel like we have to be right. And so we vigorously defend our worldview because there's just so much at stake. Now, the way we do this is, is, is first by doubling down on what we believe, but other times it's by trying to change other people's minds who are different than us. Because if two people disagree, one of us has to be wrong and one of us has to be right. And in my mind, I think I'm right. You have to be wrong. And really just the mere existence of alternative ways of making sense of the world is enough to undermine my confidence and make me feel anxious. And so I I lash out and I either try to convince you or convert you or or distance myself from you. And sometimes in more extreme cases, that's what leads to ideologically motivated violence because people just can't handle even the existence of alternative viewpoints or or, or, uh, lifestyles or ways of being or thinking. And so they try to harm or eliminate or eradicate people who pose the threat to their way of life.
0: Yeah, and you know, it's just um you know, when you were making that description, I think the what was going through my head, um, because obviously I'm 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 myself um a minister of religion and you know most of my work is to do with community and um uh, you know religious studies, etc. And one thing that I find absolutely abhorrent to religion but it's rampant is just you know religious extremism and it's just yeah because what 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 makes it really difficult for me to understand is religion usually and generally actually speaks of the need for humility right and you you see it within right. the yes. lives of these religious founders you know you name it you you look at jesus you look at moses you look at abraham Muhammad, uh, peace be upon them all, and you know even others who might not find mention in the Abrahamic faiths, like Buddha, etc. Lao Tzu, all of these individuals, when you read their lives, you see an exemplary model of humility and um, what can be achieved through through humility. And then I see these religious zealots who, you know, um, absolutely behave in such a ridiculous manner and can't see anything other than what they hold to be true as, you know, dogma and doctrine, Um, and it just makes life so difficult for so many people across the world because of it, Um, you know, particularly um, in the subcontinent like places like Bangladesh. So I'm, I'm originally from, though I was brought up in the UK um, from when I was like two years old, but um, originally from Bangladesh. So I've, I've visited Bangladesh a few times. And, um, you know, I've seen the effects of um, this behavior where, unfortunately, these religious leaders, um, they don't come anything close to the concept of humility. And um, I think what it leads to eventually, unfortunately, is people um, altogether questioning the idea of God and they just think, well, I guess God doesn't exist because, or they don't even want to even consider the question of God because they're like, well, look at your behavior. You're behaving absolutely inappropriately. Um, And um, it's it's really unfortunate, really. Um, Yeah yeah I, I agree with you completely. I mean, and that's
1: part of the that was part of such the transformative nature of of those that you mentioned, right? This that radically countercultural humility of that that deeply upended the power structures and the way people thought you would you ab, you would obtain power instead flipped it all on its head and said no humility you know um making sure that others are equal to self or above self right Ch- challenging that um was just so powerful and and i agree humility has has been a deep and central part of of religion for for millennia right for for a long time it is is an ancient virtue that is deeply embedded in authentic expressions of faith um and, and, it's, uh, and it's a central part of, of many uh, religious individuals' lives, which, which I agree with you, it makes it so surprising that many feel like the best expression of their religion is, is to do so with, with anger, aggression, or violence.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, yeah, I think, we, I think now that we've spoken about, um, you know, one, the issues that we're facing in contemporary society today is due to uh, some of the ways people are behaving on social media. Um, And then also, you know, this um, idea of how we as humans are generally just defensive and it's, I guess it's difficult for us to even consider the question of humility. I think it's worthwhile to actually um, ask you, you know, how how do you even define humility? Because that in itself is quite confusing to a lot of people, right? I mean... I think yeah. humility on display, it's something which you can kind of understand. And especially when you read about it, especially when you read about the lives of past prophets and how they behaved, um, you can straight away tell that, well, this this person was humble in nature. But how do you even describe what that is? <laughs> um, what What is humility? Because I know you've given a wonderful explanation in your book about it.
1: Oh, thanks. Yeah, I I kind of think about it in two different ways. So, you know, one way to think about it is that humility is about knowing yourself, checking yourself, and going beyond yourself. So, in terms of knowing yourself, it's having an accurate uh, assessment of who you are, including your strengths and your weaknesses, right? The things you're good at, the things you're not so good at, areas where you can grow. The second is checking yourself. So, that's reining in some of your selfish or egoistic uh, motives and behaviors. uh, And Uh, you know, kind of sharing the the praise and accepting your fair share of the blame. And then the third is going beyond yourself. So really prioritizing the needs of other people, uh, making sure you're seeking out to understand their perspectives and putting their needs at least as equal to uh, your own. Um, And maybe a a second way of of thinking about humility, if you want a metaphor, is, is just thinking about humility as being the right size. So not too big in a situation, but also not too small. So everyone's pretty familiar with being too big in a situation, right? That's the narcissistic arrogance where you come in and maybe you're a novice and you just assume that you know it all. But also humility is about not being too small, right? It's not humiliation. It's not uh, servitude, right? Or servility. Uh, it's, It's taking up the space that you've earned and what your expertise allows. So it's not being too small, not being too big. It's being the right size.
0: So like keeping that keeping all that all that in mind if you were to apply it to the initial discussion we had in terms of um seeking validation from others um particularly through social media i mean how would how would someone um try to be more humble on social media and um you know um and in general uh, in face of this um narcissistic epidemic that we're facing at the moment
1: Yeah. So I think, uh, I think how to be more humble on social media probably comes down to both motivations and behaviors. So the first is what's your motivation for why you would be posting something. And for some people, you know, maybe you are just sharing something fun about someone else or, you know, celebrating someone's birthday. Um, but if, if your motivation for sharing something is to boost your self-esteem or because you want people to reaffirm how terrific you are, or to kind of enhance your ego, you're probably not approaching it with the best motivation. And then in terms of behaviors, you know, look at the degree to which you're, accu- you're accurately and actually reflecting reality, right? Are you spending a lot of time editing and only promoting a certain version of yourself that might not be an accurate representation of who you are in real life? Are you only showing your best moments, right? Because then we start creating this illusion and we start self-promoting that illusion uh, instead of allowing uh, other people to see us authentically and us authentically interacting with the world.
0: Absolutely. Um, That's interesting because, you know, you say motivation and I think um, a word that's usually used in religion, which I would say can be interchangeably used with motivation is um, intention, right? So um, so in in the Islamic tradition, you've got the Holy Scripture of Islam, which is the Holy Quran, uh, which we believe was revealed to the Holy Prophet Muhammad. Uh, peace be upon him, just like, you know, revelation was revealed upon the previous prophets of God. But then there's also the um, the practice of the Holy Prophet, which is uh, safeguarded in the tradition known as the Sunnah or the Hadith, right? Um, and the most authentic book of Hadith is called Bukhari. And the first, the first um, narration within that book that's been presented by Imam Bukhari is actually um, this, that that is that our deeds are judged by our motives or our intentions, right? Um, or fundamentally what it, what it means is that um, your deeds or your actions are in accordance with the intention that you put in place at, at, at first. And the narration goes on to say that an individual goes to achieve that which he attends to, um, in particular. Um, and in in Islamic thought, um, one thing that's uh, usually expressed is that in every action we take, it's important that you're very clear on um, what the intention is, uh, why are you doing it, because ultimately, that intention is what is going to affect your spirituality, and that intention is what's going to affect your connection and your relationship with God, right? Um, so, yeah, I, I find that really interesting, the whole, you know, what is the motivation behind it? Because I remember uh, one young individual coming to me um, in my community and asking me uh, a similar type of question um, regarding, um, you know, how can we be more aware and conscious of what we're doing uh, and I think it was also particularly in relation to well usually the question that comes up uh, this two one is um, you know the difference between humility and be, being assertive uh, uh, and the other is the difference between humility and you know um, expressing or presenting your best self. Right. Uh, That's the question that usually comes across, um, I think, in religious communities or a a, a question that I faced a lot, really. Um, And um, I think at the time, what I was trying to explain to this individual was, I think it's important that we practice um, perceiving our own intentions and actually taking a few moments to actually think, okay, why am I actually doing this? and if you do it enough times it actually starts to become second nature i think where um you know even you know in other day to day actions you, you you first and foremost kind of think well why why am i doing this um is it to inflate my own ego my self esteem or is it you know is it because i genuinely want to help this individual or you know is it is it for the sake of uh, the the inherent good that's within this action um I think that's uh, it's quite interesting. Um, um, the other thing I wanted to ask as well was that, you know, um, in terms of that default position of defensiveness that we have, um, how do you uh, try to inculcate humility to try and remedy that situation?
1: Yeah, right. Because, you know, breaking free from our natural pattern of defensiveness can be really tough. And so if defensiveness is in part because of a threat, you know, one thing that we can do in the moment, uh, the first thing, and and I love that you mentioned this is we need to, we need to shift out of just a mindless automatic response, right? We need to slow ourselves down. We need to move things to be more conscious. So, so being self aware that our, our initial reaction is to be defensive is a good first start. So when we notice ourselves acting in that way, we can try to move from our unconscious automatic reaction into something more conscious, slowed down and measured. A second thing is if, if defensiveness is because of a threat, we can ask ourselves, well, what are other areas of my life do I have meaning and value? What are some other areas that are providing me a sense of meaning where I wouldn't necessarily need to feel as threatened because of this one thing? So can I remind myself of some friends or family that I have, some other areas where I I feel like I have a sense of worth or value? And then third really is to kind of build that sense of humility or of uh, empathy rather. So a- a- empathy is going to be a key to humility. And when you're feeling defensive, Imagine taking the other person's perspective by asking yourself, you know, why are they believing what they're believing? Is it possible that they're absolutely trying their best? You know, what could be motivating them to hold this position? And what can I learn from them? Can I be curious? And can I learn from this other person's perspective rather than just trying to convince them that I'm right and demonstrate the superiority of my own views?
0: Absolutely. Um it actually also reminds me of um, it reminds me of a, a narration of the holy prophet of Islam. Um, so you know how I was mentioning that uh, usually w- when it comes to the question of humility, uh, we sometimes wonder: Well, can you be assertive and humble at the same time, or can you present your best self? Um, can you have? I think even in more simple language, can you can you have good things uh, and still be perceived as humble, right? And this was actually a question right. that was that was put to the Holy Prophet because the Holy Prophet of Islam once said that you cannot enter heaven and if you have even an iota of arrogance within you, right and you know, obviously that, that can be explained in a number of ways. And I think um, fundamentally um, what we believe is that um, that that paradise or heaven is something that can be found within this life as well, depending on how you behave. And uh, Islamics, Islamically speaking, um, it's important that we develop that paradise here because if you're blind here, well, according to the Holy Quran, if you're blind here, you'll be blind in the hereafter. And if you're not able to attain peace of mind and peace of heart here, then expecting that would be the case in the hereafter is, um, you know, is, is not really um, ideal. Um, so, you know, he's he saying that uh, if you have an iota of arrogance within your heart, then it's not possible for you to achieve a heavenly life or heaven. And straight away. Um, uh, one of his companions turned around and he said that well you know people like to have good shoes and good clothes and you know uh um, what about that you know um, isn't that contrary to uh to what you're saying because isn't that a show of arrogance or or in in contrast to humility right and it's really interesting what he said in response and he said that Well, in Allah Jamil Yuhibul Jamal. That, no, well, God is beautiful and He loves beauty. Right? And, you know, because ultimately, you know, as I was mentioning in the beginning, this whole concept of worship surrounds the attributes of God Almighty. Um, You know, Islam teaches that if there's anyone that you should be humble before, it should be God in acquiring His attributes and that's how you try to you know live the best life by uh, imitating the perfect attributes of God so if God is beautiful then you know that that's not contrary to um, how you should be behaving and then he added further though uh, you know he, he then further explained he said the well arrogance is only two things he said that it's the it's the rejection of truth or not being able to accept when truth is presented to you and to, to consider yourself to be better than others. Right. And, um, hmm. you know, it's, yeah. it's just incredible because, um, I think, um, it is perfectly along the lines of, uh, the, what, what you've described in, you know, first and foremost, having the ability to be able to accept the truth when it's presented to you. Right. And yes. not, um, and and taking it for its merits, of course, you know, if if the evidence is there, then being having the ability to actually just accept that, well, yeah, this is this is true. And secondly, you know, having that empathy for the others and not considering yourself to be any better than anyone else. I think it's interesting how these prophets of God, uh, you know, and you get these similar examples from like Jesus and um, other past prophets who've who've explain this in such a concise manner, Um, but I think it's just lost upon us today because I I think we think differently today um, and uh, it's just so incredible to see the research that you're doing to kind of really um, delve deeper into into these uh, fundamental truths that were expressed in the past. Um, Which actually leads me to another question that I actually had for you was that, um, you know, particularly, um, you know, I don't think I've come across many psychologists who who are fundamentally interested in exploring matters related to virtues and meaning in life, right? I mean, meaning in life and fulfillment is expressed in different ways. But I think um, sure. the perspective that you approach it is uh, more in relation to fundamental, you know, virtues. So, you know, what what actually what what actually drew you to this type of research, and what why why do you you know why you know why why, why were you drawn to it?
1: Yeah. So I I got introduced, uh, my introduction to social psychology was in part through the lens of a social psychological theory called terror management theory that had to do with how we come to terms with the realization that one day we're going to die. And, and the argument was that once we realize we're going to die, we get incredibly defensive and we create these worldviews and, you know, this existential anxiety causes all, all sorts of unsavory and, uh, unbecoming human behavior and, and as I was doing some of that work, what I really appreciated was the existential perspective. But what I felt like was missing was the other side of that coin and not just how do we get defensive in light of our existential uh, realities, but how do we create a life of meaning you know that's a, that embraces and is fully aware of our, of these existential fears and doesn't tr- treat them as fears but embraces them as facts. And so if we know that one day we're going to die, how can we create a life of meaning now? and and, and you know a lot of uh, a lot of scholars and, and people who are much smarter than me uh, living now and in the past have all kind of pointed to the good life is really one in which someone does good right so a good life comes by by being by being virtuous so a, a good life is a virtuous life and so some of my work has focused on how some of these virtues such as forgiveness or humility or uh, you know gratitude can come together and really contribute to a life in which people perceive as being uh, incredibly meaningful and, and part of how that happens is these virtues make our relationships better and so Our relationships are better when we're humble, when we're open and we're willing to listen and take the perspective of our partner. Our our relationships are better when we forgive and we ask for forgiveness. When we're grateful and when we can appreciate uh, the good things that have been given to us by others or by something larger than ourselves. And so I got drawn to it because I believe that, that these are some of the deep questions that most humans are asking is... What's the meaning of, of life, or definitely of my life, and, and how should I live in order to have a flourishing and meaningful life?
0: Right, right. Um, would you say that it also comes from um, kind of a, a religious perspective as well, as in, um, as in are you, are, are you particularly religious?
1: Yeah, so so I I so I was raised religious, and I still consider myself religious now. And so I do think that my religious upbringing probably predisposed me to some of these questions that perhaps some of my my colleagues or other scholars might not have uh, thought about. You know, I as as religious person, these are things that are on my mind, right? I, it, it's on my mind. Uh, how do I live the best life, and and what makes for a meaningful life, and and what kind of uh li- what kind of life do I want to be remembered by and, and and truthfully what kind of life can promote love and justice and mercy m- more broadly in the world right are there things that I can do that can make the world a more loving and fair uh and, and and gracious place and if there are things that I can do that would do that that's that's the kind of life that I want to live and the kind of contribution
0: I want to I want to leave yeah no that's 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 wonderful cuz you know I, one thing that I've also been observing is um it seems like a modern day paradox, really, because, you know, on the, on the one hand, we're talking about this narcissism epi- epidemic, right? Um, but yeah. at the same time, what I've perceived on social media is that there is also this large-scale exodus of people who are genuinely trying to move away uh, from these things and adopting more um, traditional uh, values or virtues um, that have been espoused by, you know, fundamentally the various religious founders across the world. Um, but there's so much, or you can say so little, uh, research um, behind, you know, these various virtues, right? Looking actually into um, these particular virtues like humility, right? And because, uh, you know, you, you as a religious person, you can try your level best to try and explain, well, you should be more humble, but, you know, I don't think the modern mind is so accepting of such narratives until you can back it with research, right? And it's just, it's just terrific what you're doing.
1: Well, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And the field of positive psychology, which kind of focuses on this is still very young, still very new. We're, you know, two decades into it and only kind of like a decade into this research on humility. So we're still just very slowly accumulating um, some of the evidence for the benefits of virtue.
0: Yeah, no, that's exceptional because, um, you know, in recent times here in Queensland, we're also witness to the power of being able to present information with research. Um, uh, We we did a pilot study here recently. So there's this wonderful PhD doctor, uh, Dr. Bushar Nasser from the University of Queensland. Um, And she helped in running a pilot study on the benefits and or the effects of uh, prayer and meditative practices, right? But particularly, um, you know, we're obviously trying to explore uh, the prescriptions provided in Islam, right? Um, And fundamentally it was the idea of remembrance of God, how do you practice that, um, and particularly um, how is that beneficial to you, right? And a full workshop and an intervention was done um, uh, explaining the scientific aspect and also marrying it with uh, the the religious ideas that have been expressed in the past around these things. And the, the results were just incredible. I mean, it, it was just wonderful seeing uh, people going into this research project. I mean, a lot of them reported very high in depression and anxiety. Um, but then when, you know, when they were taken through the science of how you can, you can quite literally rewire your brain through such meditative practices um, and how, how do you go about doing it, etc., um you know, do, throughout the duration, by the end of the intervention, uh, it was just incredible, the results that we saw. Um, so I, I think there just needs to be so much more in, in this field of, of study, you know, uh, analyzing these various uh, virtues. And I, I really appreciate what, what, what you're doing, honestly. Um, uh, I think it, it's something that the world needs uh much more of and i think the world is rapidly realizing it as well uh the importance of yeah. um, such such virtues right and how it how it just really in- enriches our lives um i think one thing we we have to discuss though um and i know we're, we're coming to the near the end of our time but i i can't let you go before we do <laughs> before we do discuss this cuz um uh you know cuz you you've spoken about it at length um how do you develop humility right i mean we've spoken about the benefits of it what it is it um right. what it's not etc and um how do you go about developing it
1: yeah that, that's a great question so i think the first place we need to start is we need to seek feedback from other people so we We may not have an accurate understanding or assessment of our own humility, so it really helps to get a perspective of what others think. And so I would recommend that you ask someone whose opinion you value and who you trust will be honest with you. And if you have people in a various number of domains, so in family, uh, maybe some friends, maybe at work, if you can get uh, a fair amount of feedback about your humility, that's a good place to start then then you know kind of how much work you have to do so ask them how humble you are in some areas where you potentially could grow in humility. A second thing to do is when you get that feedback uh don't don't be defensive i I did this exercise one time with my wife and I asked her and i it was at a particularly uh, selfish moment in my life, uh, and I had done a few things where I, I wasn't being very considerate, and she gave me kind of a low score on humility. Uh, and then once I got that feedback, I got defensive, which which doesn't help, right? That's that's certainly not a humble way to receive feedback. And so uh, try to reduce defensiveness and, and realize that by definition, they're right. If they're saying you need to be more humble, they would know. I mean, these are people who are interacting with you and who are trying to give you honest feedback. The third thing we can do is once we know where we are and we've we've kind of checked our defensiveness is we can start working to develop empathy. So really trying to work hard to take the perspective of other people, to ask yourself what you could learn from others, and to try to tune into emotionally what they might be feeling or experiencing in a given moment. And then finally, the last thing is to be aware that the natural currents are always going to be pulling towards this cultural expression of narcissism. So realizing that to, to become more humble, we have to do the work every day. It's a, it's a constant decision to try to become more humble because the currents are going to be pulling us towards narcissism, towards self-aggrandizement, towards arrogance each and every day. And so realizing that uh, you need to practice and you need to continually put in the effort. Uh, there, there's not a quick fix for humility. It takes time to
0: develop, uh, but it can be developed. Do you think justice plays into it as well? And I, I know that might sound a bit random, but I'm just thinking that you know when when you're confronted with some sort of truth, right? Someone, someone, I mean, you, you yeah. Uh, when you seek out um, some advice on your behavior, right, um, or, or if you don't seek out advice, and someone just comes to you and kind of brings to your attention that, well, maybe you could have done this better, or maybe this is not how it is. Because the reason I mentioned justice is, I'm just wondering, um, to to lower your defence. Uh, if 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 it's necessary for you to be able to accept truth in the first place, based on its merits, based on the evidence that's provided to you, then would you? Don't you think justice also has a place there, where you actively think that? Well, justice dictates that. If the evidence is presented before me and it's right, then I accept it for what it is rather than you know doubling down and kind of trying to prove what I'm saying is right, though I don't have the evidence to back it.
1: Yeah, yes, yes, that's exactly right. I I love that perspective that yeah, you are changing your mind in light of sufficiently strong evidence, right? Not changing your mind just for anything or being wishy-washy or not holding an opinion, but changing your mind for sufficiently strong evidence because it is just and right to do so. You know, some philosophers consider humility to be a liberatory virtue, right? It helps liberate because it helps align us with the truth of the world around us. We see ourselves accurately and the world around us accurately. So I do believe that it it does complement quite well with justice.
0: Yeah, because um, uh, yeah, no, I know in my own personal uh, life, that's something which I've uh, come across uh, many a times where um, I think it's just easier to accept uh, when you know that the evidence is there, then instead of, I think straight away you kind of know if you're still going against the evidence, then it's definitely your ego. It's, it's, it, you know, right. It, that's, ex- yeah, that's exactly it, right. It, right. It, it's, it's really difficult for you to kind of say that it's not your ego. when the evidence is quite blatantly clear that, you know, uh, right. what you're saying is wrong. And, and I, I, I think, I think that's, um, uh, it's quite interesting really. um, I think just uh, just at the end, of, uh, what I'd like I would love to hear from you is, um, generally, I mean, by trying to develop humility, um, uh, what's your research shown in terms of um, people's mental health? Uh, you know, uh, does it bring about a radical improvement in mental health and? Uh, not just mental health, I mean, in terms of our relationships and dealing with other people. Um, yeah, it, yeah,
1: Yeah. Yeah. so I mean, th- this is probably an area where the, the research is still new, but uh, all, all signs so far are pointing towards the, the well-being benefits of humility. And so if you are accurately seeing yourself and the world around you, then you're going to be more able to take feedback that might be difficult for you to hear. You're going to be uh, able to make clearer and better and healthier decisions because you're seeing the world as it is and not the world as you want it to be. And you're able to see yourself as you are and not through a distorted lens. And so you know a lot of uh, interpersonal and intrapersonal problems come from having a distorted relationship with reality or with with the way things are and so to the degree that you can cultivate humility and see the world accurately it should absolutely lead to
0: to better well-being and better mental health so i won't keep you any longer but it it, it was an absolute pleasure um speaking to you um dr Tongeren. um honestly i've um ever since i came across your book uh, and was reading it particularly for that um that panel discussion that I mentioned. Um, I was just thinking, you know I wonder if uh, we could just talk to you directly and just um you know get you to explain um these concepts um but no it's it 's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much uh for for speaking with us. Thank you so much for having me it's been a delight for me as well thank you. Isma'u isma Sota Sama Ja Al Masan Ja Al Masem Isma Isma So ta Sam Ja'al Masan Mass Ja'al Ma If you like this episode please do follow us on our socials at True Islamau Similarly, you can visit our webpage for more content at trueislam.com.au. We would also love to get your feedback. Do you agree or even disagree with what we've discussed today? What would you like for us to cover in our future episodes? Our contact details are in the description below. With that, that is all we have time for today. Thank you for listening and until next time, Assalamu Alaikum. may peace be upon you.